Giannis still hasn't signed his Supermax extension with the Milwaukee Bucks. What ways will Drew Holiday impact the Bucks? Was Mike Budenholzer wrong to suggest that this is not a championship or bust season for the Milwaukee Bucks? All of this and more on today's episode of The Spider Dribble. So before I begin today's episode, I just want to apologize in advance. So this is Derek from the future talking to you uh, post-production of today's episode. As I was editing this episode, I noticed that for a few of the segments of today's episode, I had accidentally not turned on my microphone so i forgot to switch on the computer to my normal microphone to record uh and you will notice that that audio was recorded just with my laptop's awful uh microphone uh that it picks up to record the episode so again i want to apologize in advance for doing that i still think it sounds uh good enough I didn't feel like re-recording those segments, so hopefully you'll still get the general idea of what I'm talking about uh, during those segments. So again, wanted to apologize for not switching to my good microphone, uh, but I hope you still enjoy today's episode. Hello, and thank you for tuning into the Spider Dribble podcast. I am your host, Derek Ledoux. So Giannis still hasn't signed his Supermax extension with the Milwaukee Bucks. What are my thoughts on all of this? Honestly, I'm about as clueless as the rest of you are as to what Giannis is going to do at this point. I was at, I was pretty positive before that he was going to stay in Milwaukee and sign the Supermax extension when free agency started. I was probably about 80% certain that he would that he would sign his extension with about 20% doubt that he would wait until next summer to decide and, and make his decision. Uh, the fact that this process has gone on into the start of training camp and almost the start of preseason and almost the start of the regular season has me a bit concerned that he might actually decide to ultimately wait until next summer to make up his mind and make his decision as to what he's going to do. Uh, I'm still about 60% certain like that he's going to sign the extension. Like my, my, optimism for him staying has gone down a bit since the start of free agency. I do think the longer this this process takes, that the less likely it is that he's going to sign the extension. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I still ultimately feel like he's going to sign the extension and stay with the Milwaukee Bucks, given the fact that we know that Giannis is a loyal person, that he wants to finish what he started when he came to Milwaukee, the fact that the Bucks were a 15-win team during his rookie season, the fact that the Milwaukee Bucks were in the NBA doldrums uh, when he came into the NBA, that it was a place that no player really wanted to come to, the fact that he's put in all of this effort to build up the organization uh, with Chris Middleton and with other people in the Bucks organization. The fact that he has been the most important piece in all of this in uh, lifting up the profile of the Milwaukee Bucks. I think it means a lot to him. I think the Bucks organization means a lot to him. And I do feel like he wants to finish what he started in Milwaukee and helping them reach the NBA finals and ultimately winning an NBA championship. Like, I feel like if you were to leave and join a super team somewhere else, I do think in Giannis's mind that that would be a failure. Like I know this past week he has, he made the quote that he wants LeBron and AD to 
come to Milwaukee or he wouldn't mind players like that coming to Milwaukee, even if he has, even if he has to be the second or third fiddle on the team. Uh, again, though, I, I do think Giannis is ultimate is, is the ultimate competitor and he wants to beat those guys. Like whenever he picks his all-star team, he always picks a less competitive all-star team to defeat all of the other superstars in the NBA because I think he wants to be the man. He wants to be the guy. So I do think he will ultimately stay and sign with the Milwaukee Bucks. There have been reports by Jackie McMullen, a longtime trusted source in the NBA uh, out of Boston, I believe. Uh, Brian Windhorst has said the same thing. They both say that they believe that Giannis will ultimately sign the Supermax extension and stay in Milwaukee. They've gotten vibes out of the organization that they feel confident that Giannis will stay. I know John Kuhn, the former running back or former fullback for the Green Bay Packers, uh, tweeted out this past Sunday that he had heard rumors that Giannis was ultimately going to sign the Supermax extension and stay with the Bucks. Again, I don't know how, how trustworthy of a source he is. I know he's, I think now he's some sort of reporter, does something uh, for Packers.com or whatever up in Green Bay now. Uh, but he was saying he heard rumors that Giannis was going to stay. It, it sounds like the Bucks organization is still pretty confident that he's going to sign the extension. But again, it hasn't happened yet, so uh, more doubt is starting to creep in my mind that he might actually wait until next summer. I don't know if it has to do with anything with the Bogdan Bogdanovich situation. I think if the Bucks would have pulled off that trade, that Giannis would be would ultimately sign the extension. Maybe he would have already done so at this point in the process. Uh, maybe that's. Uh, cause some doubt to creep in his mind that the Bucks can can actually competently put together a roster around him that can compete for NBA championships. So we'll see. I I I really have no clue what's going to happen at this at this point in the process. Just like the rest of us, none of us really know for sure what's going to happen. Just like the rest of you, I am always checking Twitter. I'm refreshing Twitter maybe every hour, maybe every few hours or so. Sometimes I'll have to set like a timer on my phone to so that like a two hour timer and tell myself I'm not going to check Twitter. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to put myself through that pain of checking every few hours or every hour uh, to see if Giannis is signed. But I'm like many of you Milwaukee Bucks fans. I'm always checking to see if anyone has anything. Woj never seems to have anything. Shams never seems to have anything. The local beat writers don't seem to have any news. Uh, you know, I'll check Real GM every so often, too, to see if some poster on there has any new information, any sources that they have, that any articles they have. Uh, that suggests that Giannis is staying or not staying or or whatnot. Uh, however, when I whenever I check Real GM, like lately there are posters under the Giannis section in Real GM where now like oh Giannis is for sure gone. The Bucks should if, if Giannis doesn't sign the extension, the Bucks should be looking to make a trade and get as much back for him as possible. To me. <laughs> I don't know how how people can get to that point. Like, just thinking about life without Giannis on the Milwaukee Bucks, it's like, I mean, I've been a Milwaukee Bucks fan since the mid-1990s, like pretty much when the Bucks won the draft lottery in 1994 was really the first time that I started to, to uh follow the Bucks closely ever since they got Ray Allen and ever since the days of Todd Day and Lee Mayberry and so forth. I've always dreamed that the that the Milwaukee Bucks could get to a point where they could get a player like Giannis, the best player in the league, 
or one of the best players in the league that can legitimately help the team win an NBA title. Like if if the Bucks were to trade Giannis off of the roster, I don't care what they get back. They can get back tons of draft picks. Maybe they'll get back a nice asset or whatever. But the fact that you don't have Giannis pretty much means that you're going back to to the Herb Cole era of basketball of Milwaukee Bucks misery guys like Dan Gadzarich, Charlie Bell, whoever it. I mean that that's what the Milwaukee Bucks will become. Maybe they could could have a nice team like the Portland Trailblazers and get a nice player like Dame Lillard. But you know that the Blazers most likely are never making the NBA Finals with Dame Lillard as their best player and CJ McCollum as their second best player. Like you know that that's probably not going to happen. Uh, uh, just watch the Blazers will make the finals somehow this next year, but. You know, the, the Bucks will become a team, could become a team like that. Maybe they'll have some playoff success every so often. They'll get to the second round or they'll get to the conference finals or whatever. But they won't have that that MVP level of talent most likely ever again in our, life, in our lifetimes. Like Giannis is most likely the best Milwaukee Buck that most of us will ever see uh, during – our lifetimes. So like, I don't know why, why people would even think about trading Giannis at this point, just keep him right now, go for it all this season and see what happens. Like, don't, don't even think about trading him. See if you can like this, this might be the best year. If this is Giannis's last year with the Bucks, this might be the best, the last best chance in our lifetime of the Milwaukee Bucks reaching the NBA finals and winning an NBA title. So to me, you just go for it and you see, you see what happens if you lose them for nothing next year. I mean, so be it, you know, it, it is what it is. And I mean, their future, no matter if they get draft picks or not, is pretty much wrecked. If Giannis isn't with the roster maybe that makes me a poor Milwaukee Bucks fan to think that that I would just give up on the Bucks if Giannis didn't stay with the team. But I, there comes a point, I don't know, there, there comes a point where maybe, maybe I just get too old now. I'm in my mid-30s now, having w- watched the Milwaukee Bucks for the last 20 years, 25 years, whatever it is to this point right now, there comes a point where, you know, once you get that superstar player, it's like, do I really want to go through another 10 or 20 or 30 years of misery with the Milwaukee Bucks? I don't know. We'll see what happens if, if that ultimately happens. Hopefully though, Giannis will sign the Supermax extension. He'll play with the Milwaukee Bucks for at least five more years. Maybe he'll sign a shorter deal or whatever. I'm not sure. Hopefully he will sign that max extension and we won't have to worry about uh, his next, his next move for a while. Let's hope that, that this happens, that, that we won't have to go through the pain and agony of this season, wondering if Giannis is going to stay next year or not. Hopefully he'll get this over with soon and sign the extension and we can all celebrate and be happy that he'll remain a Milwaukee Buck for the long-term future. So keep positive vibes. Hope that something good will happen and go Bucks. Hopefully Giannis stays long-term. Okay, so next I want to talk a little Drew Holiday. So what ways will Drew Holiday impact the Milwaukee Bucks? So I think it was last Saturday. uh, There was a video on Twitter. I think it was put out by 
Nathan Marzion. I think that's how you say his name, but he always, he always posts, uh, funny and cool videos that end up going viral on Twitter about the Milwaukee Bucks. One of the, one of the better follows, uh, for following the Milwaukee Bucks on Twitter. I'm not sure if I personally follow him or not. I might not be following him because he's a Chicago Cubs fan and I don't want to see Chicago Cubs stuff on my timeline. So I'm not sure if I'm following him or not, but he does always, uh, post, uh, cool Milwaukee Bucks stuff that I happen to see on Twitter. But anyways, I think it was last Saturday. He posted a video on Twitter uh, showing Eric Bledsoe missing three-point shot after three-point shot after three-point shot during the during the playoffs, during, I think, like the last couple postseasons. And I think that the title of his video on Twitter, he he titled it, Now Replace This with Drew Holiday. Uh, Meaning that if you replace all of those shots with Drew Holiday, that Drew Holiday will end up uh, making more shots for the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm not sure if that's exactly what Nathan intended uh, to to say in his video, maybe he just meant that Drew Holiday is a better offensive player overall and he's going to impact the Milwaukee Bucks in a more positive light than Eric Bledsoe. I didn't necessarily have a problem with his video, but I think some people took issue with it in saying that Drew Holiday isn't that much uh, better of a shooter than Eric Bledsoe is. And I think he responded to a lot of people while he is in the playoffs. He's He's had a lot of success in the playoffs when, when he has made uh, the playoffs for the New Orleans Pelicans in the past and for the Philadelphia 76ers. So what ways will Drew Holiday end up impacting the Milwaukee Bucks? I don't think if you're expecting Drew Holiday to be a Steph Curry type of of three-point shooter in the postseason, you're going to be disappointed. He's not that kind of player. However, I do think he will he will have a bigger impact for the Milwaukee Bucks in the postseason. At least we hope so. Like I talked about the dreams that we all have in the offseason of whenever the Milwaukee Bucks acquire a new player, we dream that they are going to be the missing piece and are going to bring the Bucks playoff success and help them reach the NBA Finals, when in reality, a lot of times that that doesn't end up happening. So, so just looking at Drew Holiday, though, he has had some playoff success in the past. He hasn't made the playoffs often. Uh, however, when he has been in the postseason, he has had some success. So during this during this, or not during this past postseason, but I think a few playoff series before during the 2018 playoffs, he averaged 28 points per game and seven assists per game against the Portland Trailblazers in the New Orleans Pelicans sweep of the Portland Trailblazers. And I was watching some footage of Drew Holiday in that series. I'll admit that I'm not an avid Drew Holiday follower. I don't know his game as well as many other people who more closely follow the NBA. However, I do remember Drew Holiday having some success against the Milwaukee Bucks in the past. In fact, I think a a few seasons ago, I was like, the Pelicans were playing against the Bucks and Drew Holiday just went off in this game against the Bucks. And I tweeted, Wow, I didn't realize Drew Drew Holiday became such a big a big time star. Or I made some sarcastic remark about Drew Holiday all of a sudden having like the best game of his career against the Milwaukee Bucks. And there was a Pelicans fan that rightfully tweeted back at me. He's like, someone doesn't know referring that someone referring to me. He's saying he he replied back in response to me. Someone doesn't realize how good Drew Holiday actually is. And after that game, I gained a lot of respect 
for Drew Holiday, I realized that he was a better he was a much better player than I'd given him credit for. And uh we've seen Drew Holiday the, these past few seasons have a lot of success against a lot of players. He's gained the respect of many players around the league. He is considered one of the best defensive players in the NBA. I believe Dame Lillard said that Drew Holiday is the best defender against him out of anyone in the NBA. A lot of players have made similar comments. I know there there's a stat out there that Drew Holiday has spent more minutes during these past few seasons covering the the best players in the NBA than any other player in the NBA uh, has right now. So Drew Holiday has the respect of a lot of players in the NBA. He's considered one of the most underrated players in the NBA by experts who follow the league, by other players in the league, and so forth. So what is Drew Holiday's game? So we know that he is that he is a great defensive player. We know that he can switch and cover multiple positions. He can defend point guards. He can defend shooting guards. He can defend some of the taller athletes in the NBA. You'll see highlights of him defending players like LeBron, like Kevin Durant, like Giannis in the past too. He's he's a guy who can cover multiple positions and is successful doing doing so. I think he's going to bring a lot of defensive versatility to the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, obviously, Eric Bledsoe was one of the better defensive point guards in the NBA uh, during these past few seasons. So Drew Holiday should be able to keep that up uh, during the upcoming season and should be able to defend even more positions in helping out the Milwaukee Bucks. So we all know of his defensive versatility. What does he bring to the Milwaukee Bucks offensively? Like I mentioned before, he's not a... If you're expecting him to be a Steph Curry-like, uh, just lights-out shooter like like Steph or like Klay Thompson or whoever, you're going to be disappointed. One of the things, though, that, that the Milwaukee Bucks seem to have been lacking these past few seasons. And I know other people have mentioned this on other podcasts, but they've, they've lacked the clear leadership needed from guys like Giannis, guys like Chris Middleton in knowing exactly what to do in postseason basketball, especially when the game slows down in the, in the half court setting, the Bucks seem to lack that guy that knows exactly how to break down a defense and and pick apart the what the defense is doing against the Milwaukee Bucks. They seem to lack that type of player. Like as great as Giannis is, he still doesn't seem to have to have necessarily that ability to to break down a defense. Chris Middleton too. He he just doesn't seem to like Middleton had that awesome game last last year where he scored, I can't remember what it was, 37 points against the Miami Heat and leading the Milwaukee Bucks to victory. Guess what? Jamal Murray had, I think, like 50-point games during the postseason. Donovan Mitchell also had 50-point games. Chris Middleton was not unique in his ability to score a lot of points during a postseason during the postseason. There were other great players uh, who also were capable of scoring tons of points. So hopefully Chris can build off of that performance that he had against the Miami Heat last year. Uh, they're going to need his scoring. He does need to shoot the ball a lot of times in the postseason for the Milwaukee Bucks to have success. But again, he's another guy who by himself, does he know how to break down a defense during the postseason? No, not necessarily. And obviously Eric Bledsoe during postseason basketball, like Bledsoe during the regular season is great at putting his head down, getting to the rim and and finishing t- tough shots at the hoop. Like he's great at that during the regular season. 
However, that becomes much harder during the postseason, and that just like Bledsoe, Bledsoe seemed to defer to Giannis too much. He seemed to defer to Chris Middleton too much in running and handling the offense. Bledsoe was never a guy who seemed to know how to break down break down a defense. So the Bucks have lacked that kind of player who just knows how to break down a defense, knows exactly where the other players, where all of the other offense players on the court are supposed to be, knows where the teammates are supposed to be, can have that leadership in directing players to get to their spots and, uh, and execute the offense efficiently. So personally, I believe that someone like Chris Paul would have been perfect at doing this for this Milwaukee Bucks team. Chris Paul, whether you like him or not, I know some players don't necessarily get along with him because he's got such a strong personality and strong attitude. I think he would have been the perfect offensive point guard in helping the Bucks execute their offense. He's the perfect leader in telling Giannis, hey, Giannis, you need to be right here. You need to, like, when the defense shifts on you this way, you need to go this way. Middleton, you need to do this in the offense and whatnot. Like, Chris Paul seemed to have that leadership ability to hold all the other players accountable. He's one of the best in NBA history at running an offense in a, in a half-court set. Obviously, he's getting old, but I think he would have been kind of the perfect player to be able to do that. The Bucks decided ultimately not to go that route and to and to trade for a younger a younger player in Drew Holiday in hoping that Holiday will be able to do similar things offensively. Now, does Drew Holiday run an offense as efficiently? as Chris Paul does, I would say, no, he doesn't, but he does seem to, does seem to know what he's doing more in an offensive setting than Eric Bledsoe, obviously like Bledsoe during the postseason, we saw too many times where he would back the ball way, way far back. If nothing was happening offensively, if the ball wasn't moving efficiently, he would just dribble the ball back to half court, with five seconds left, he would drive somehow to the lane, throw up some either an awful three-point shot, an awful mid-range shot, or just chuck chuck up some garbage at the hoop. Like Bledsoe did not seem to know what he was doing. Drew Holiday does seem like the kind of player who knows what he's doing in an offense in an offensive setting, especially during the postseason. Like, I was watching highlights of him against the Portland Trailblazers a few years ago, from a few years ago, where he averaged 28 points per game and seven assists per game. Uh, Holiday, like, Holiday's a bigger guard, and he just seemed to, like, he almost seemed like he had, like, a Kawhi Leonard-like presence on the defense. Like, when he would get the ball he's not the type of player who scores a lot behind the three point line, but he, he gets to these spots in the lane, like not necessarily mid range area, like 15 feet, but he does seem to get like within 10 feet of the hoop and just knows how to knows how to finish against the defense. Uh, whether it be some sort of Euro step, some sort of fake or whatever, he does seem to be able to uh, finish finish against the defense in that kind of setting. It almost reminds me of Gary Payton. Like Gary Payton was never that great of an outside shooter, but he was pretty good at, at posting up like within 10 feet of the hoop and doing some sort of turnaround type of jumper. It's it's sort of similar to Gary Payton in, in some, in some ways. Uh, that New Orleans Pelicans team seemed to have a lot of space. Anthony Davis, for example, has the respect of the defense as far as his jumper is concerned. Like Davis can hit 
mid-range shots. He can hit from behind the three-point line. Like the defense seems to respect Anthony Davis wherever he is shooting the basketball, which I think is one advantage he has over Giannis is just the respect that he has from defenses uh, with his jump shot. So if Giannis can ever develop some sort of some sort of jump shot, I know he's gotten better uh, from the three-point line over the course of the past few years, but if he can ever develop some sort of mid-range jumper, especially, I know there's some people who say that's that, that the mid-range shot is one of the most efficient, inefficient shots in the NBA. However, I feel like being able to develop that shot from the mid-range allows him to fake against the defense and get to get to the hoop a lot quicker. Whereas if he is from behind the three-point line, it takes him a lot longer to get to the hoop from to travel to the hoop and make his move and make a fake. Uh, from the three-point line and getting to the hoop than it does if he could develop some sort of a mid-range jump shot. Like, I don't know if I'm making any sense with this at all, but, like, I remember a few years ago that 44-point game against the Portland Trailblazers was, like, the perfect version of what I would want Giannis to be. Like, he was making moves in attacking the hoop, he was also he was also sc- scoring from a lot of spots from the mid-range area turnaround jumpers like Michael Jordan uh just all sorts of things like that was the perfect version that I saw of Giannis I'm not as big of a fan as some people are of him him taking tons of shots from behind the three-point line I wish he would develop uh, his mid-range shot a lot more like he was doing under Jason Kidd. Like for all the flaws that Jason Kidd had as a head coach, and believe me, he had many flaws as a head coach. I think one of the things I didn't appreciate at the time was Kidd telling Giannis to develop his mid-range jump shot. I think, I think if, like I said, if Giannis can develop that mid-range jump shot a lot better it will give him the ability to to fake that shot against the defense and have a shorter distance of traveling to the hoop and finishing at the rim than it would of him faking a shot at the three-point line, driving to the rim, and having the defense quickly collapse on him. Now, obviously, Giannis needs to be better at kicking it out to three-point shooters and whatnot, but that's where I think he's at. Anyways, I just went off on this long tangent about Giannis. But like I was saying before, Drew Holiday against the Blazers a few years ago uh, seemed to be able to operate inside the, inside of the paint because of Anthony Davis's ability to stretch the floor, Nico Miritich's ability to stretch the floor. Like they, they just seem to be able to spread out the floor well. If the defense collapsed on Drew, he would kick it out to an open three-point shooter. Uh, If they didn't, he would make some sort of move to the rim. Uh, Holiday also seems to to be able to run the pick and roll fairly efficiently, too. Like, Eric Bledsoe never seemed to really be a great pick and roll player. Uh, Drew Holiday seemed to be able to do that a lot better than Bledsoe. Like he seemed to have a lot of success with Anthony Davis setting the screen up top and then Davis rolling to the hoop. Like he seems to be able to run that pretty efficiently. It's also one thing that I am pretty excited about seeing with DJ Augustine as well. DJ Augustine is one of the better players at at handling the pick and roll, knows how to run it efficiently, knows how to shoot, uh, shoot on shoot on a dime, basically going over a screen, stopping, shooting on a dime, and hitting a three point jump shot. Uh, there's there's there was a video that I was just watching too of 
DJ Augustine explaining all of the different looks out of a pick and roll type of setting. Like if, if for example, if the post defender stays down on a pick and roll, DJ knows that he can pull up right away from the mid range area. If the guy, if one of the players uh, defending the corner converges to try and stop him, he knows that he can kick it out to a three point shooter in the corner. Pick and roll, I think, is probably the most important play of the game. Augustine working some magic with Vooch. 90% of the NBA, they run pick and roll plays. And some of the guys I used to look up to watching pick and roll when I was in college and high school was Steve Nash, John Stockton, and even Chris Paul. You know, those are some of the best guys that turn to learn pick and roll from. A good pick and roll starts with the screen. You got to get a good screen from the big man so he hits your man. And then you have to come off and attack and try to create. Augustine. Great hands and the finish. You got to look at the defense and read the defense. And, but the most important thing is probably the initial screen from the big man. The, the pick and roll starts with the screen. So once my big sets a nice screen, I kind of try to use it. And I'm reading the big man guarding the screen, and I read the defender in the corner. If the guy in the corner is coming over too far, I'm going to pass it to the offensive guy in the corner. If he doesn't and he stay with his man and the big stays with me, I know the pocket pass is open. So I'll drop the little pocket pass to the big man rolling. And if the big doesn't stop the ball, I'm gonna continue all the way to the rim, try to score and make a play for my teammates. So it's pretty simple uh, how to run a pick and roll. Uh, he just knows all of knows all of the ways to attack a pick and roll. It's kind of similar to if you watch a football game, if if a quarterback is running an option play, for example, if the defensive end converges to stop the quarterback, the quarterback knows that he can pitch it out to the running back. And if the in if the end converges to stop the running back, the quarterback knows that he can just keep running and uh, get a bunch of yards off of that play. So it. Pick and roll is very similar to those types of things. And DJ Augustine is another player that seems to know how to how to run an offense more efficiently than players like George Hill and Eric Bledsoe were able to do. So I'm excited to see what Holiday and DJ Augustine can do with the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks absolutely need more leadership from their point guard position. I know some people are talking even about getting someone like Rajon Rondo on the Bucks. Even though Rondo can't shoot worth a lick, he still knows how to run an offense. He knows where every player should be in an offensive setting. And that kind of point guard can help the Bucks run their offense, especially when it gets bogged down in a postseason setting. So hopefully, hopefully Augustine and Drew Holiday can help the Milwaukee Bucks in that aspect. Again, I'm not sure if any of that made any sense, but I do think I do think Holiday and Augustine know what they're doing and are going to make the Milwaukee Bucks offense more efficient during the postseason setting. Hopefully that will happen. Okay, so the final topic on today's episode was Mike Budenholzer wrong to suggest that this is not a championship or bust season for the Milwaukee Bucks. So there was a lot of controversy yesterday. So yesterday was the, by the way, I'm recording this on Friday night, December 4th. So this when I'm when I say yesterday, I'm referring to December 3rd, which was the first day of the media session for the Milwaukee Bucks. But anyways, Mike Budenholzer created a controversy with some people when he suggested yesterday that the that it wasn't necessarily that this season wouldn't necessarily be a championship or bust season for the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, you know, you obviously you guys, you know, regular season, you know, best record back to back years. When you look at this year, do you look at, hey, we you feel that pressure of, hey, is this a championship or bust type feel you going into the year? 
you know, I think we always embrace and feel fortunate that, uh, you know, we feel we have the roster. We feel like we have players that are incredibly talented on both ends of the court. And we're in the mix to be the last team standing. Um, but there's a process that you, that every team's got to go through to get there. And I don't think, you know, um, I think the, the, uh, the goal is real, the opportunity is real, but you know, I think that uh, if it's ever, you know, if, if you're an organization or a team that doesn't embrace that, uh, you're probably you know, maybe in the wrong business. But at the same time, to think that, that a season is championship or bust is, is um, certainly not the way we've approached it. And um, we, we really um, embrace competition. We embrace the playoffs, we embrace the opportunity. And we want to be that last team standing, but um, you know I don't think uh, it's 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 that phrase is just something that doesn't resonate with with me or I think our group or organizationally. This sent Bucks Twitter uh, into a frenzy yesterday, saying you know some people are saying, well how how could Budenholzer say such a thing? How could he possibly say that this isn't a championship or bust season? Like. Why would any coach ever su suggest that? Like, shouldn't that be the ultimate goal of any coach is to make it a championship or bust season? Is he just dogging it in this year? Is he not taking the season serious enough? Is he the right coach for the Milwaukee Bucks? Like, people kind of lost their minds at this quote yesterday. Uh, for me, this quote didn't really surprise me at all. If you've studied the San Antonio Spurs for the past 20 seasons, if you understand San Antonio Spurs' philosophy, if you understand Greg Popovich's philosophy, then you will also be able to understand Mike Budenholzer, considering that Budenholzer was basically Greg Popovich's, one of his lead assistants with the San Antonio Spurs for for four out of the five NBA championship seasons that the San Antonio Spurs had. So Budenholzer uh, operates under the same philosophy as Greg Popovich. There is a great YouTube video, and I'm going to share a few of few of the a few of the quotes on this video, but it's a YouTube video of Greg Popovich giving a coaching clinic to coaches, I think in Europe. They were asking him all sorts of questions about Pop's philosophy, and Pop spent a lot of time answering their questions about uh, how he puts together a team, uh, how he wants to have a lot of character on his roster, which is very similar to what the Milwaukee Bucks operate under. The the Bucks uh, recently, anyways, have always tried to acquire players with. A ton of character so Popovich goes into uh assembling a roster with high character players uh what else does he talk about he talks about how he handles his timeouts how he just his overall approach and philosophy in coaching the game of basketball but one of the things and I'm going to be playing it here on the podcast and including it into the final cut of this episode uh, but one of the one of the clips in the video mentions the the first clip is basically his philosophy for an NBA season. So Greg Popovich basically has two rules or two goals for his team. He mentions that he doesn't really have a specific end goal for his team, but two of his goals are number one. Number one is that all of his players will stay healthy throughout the regular season. He likes to develop his bench. Uh, that's one of his goals is to keep everyone healthy so that he can have all of his players available during the postseason. The other, the other goal that Greg Popovich uh, has for his teams is to continually get better throughout the regular season. So to basically have a plan and process for his players to develop and to get better and to be the very best team that they can possibly be come postseason time. So those are his two biggest goals. He's more concerned about the, the process of it all 
rather than the end goal. And one of the things he also mentions too is, you know, he says it's great if his team wins an NBA title, but that's not necessarily how he looks at a season. He says that, I don't know how to explain it. You'll hear it better in the clip, but basically, basically suggests that if his team doesn't win an NBA championship, basically what he tries to do is have his team learn from those situations. So whether it be winning an NBA title, if they win an NBA title, great, but if they lose in the first round of the playoffs, he considers it a learning experience for his team to improve and to get better and basically says that he and his organization and his staff just have to find a way to figure it all out and basically looks at the game of basketball as just a game, nothing more than a game. He doesn't want his players thinking that they're all that if they win a championship or he, and he doesn't want his players so down when they lose a game or lose a playoff series. He wants them to figure things out and to uh, get better at and to get better at the game of basketball. So I'm going to play those two clips. Oh, and by the way, I consider this video, uh, you can find this video on YouTube by searching for Greg Popovich uh, philosophy or Greg Popovich San Antonio Spurs philosophy. It's basically uh, put out by FIBA or the World Association of Coaches or whoever, but I consider this video to be like the the Greg Popovich, Mike Budenholzer Bible, the San Antonio Spurs Bible. If you want to understand Mike Budenholzer a lot better, uh, I would watch this Spurs Bible video or the the Greg Greg Popovich philosophy video. So here are those clips. One of this I understand it has to do with continuity. Your owners, your your bosses, your managers, some of them are very foolish and they want something done in a day and a half or you're gone. Other ones are smart enough to know that it takes time. Uh, that's part of the fortune you hope that you get along the way and I've gotten that. Specific goals for the team. I have none. You know, you can read all kinds of books about goal setting and you have to have goals, you're never going to get there. Uh, my goals are very uh, basic in general. We don't talk about, we have to have uh, the most wins. You know, we, we had the most wins in the league last year. Uh, we didn't set out to do that. It happened. Uh, we don't talk about winning the conference. We don't talk about winning a championship. Honest. Cross my heart. Never in one year did I know we're going to get this done. We are the best team. February, March, April, we are going to kick It's obvious we're the best team. Never have we talked about that or felt like that. Uh, it's ingrained in those guys that it's a journey, it's a process, it's difficult, the joy is in the process, the joy isn't really the final culmination. It, it fades away pretty quick uh, and life goes on. But that journey is what you're proud of. Uh, that process is what you feel the camaraderie for with your teammates. And when Sean Elliott or Avery Johnson or Mario Elliott or David Robinson or Bruce Bowen, you know, come by the gym or whatever now, uh, they're proud of what they did together as a group for that whole time. And uh, so the goal for us has been to be the best prepared team we can be by playoff time and the most healthy. But it is important, I think, to have the big picture uh, rather than, okay, this week, let's win three out of these five games. Uh, it's not the deal. So what it means is we can't skip steps and we start at the beginning. So for training camp this year, when we started a few days ago in San Antonio, like the first drill was like you do with these kids, like about like that. So you put a chair here, like a folding chair, you know, that you sit down in here, and then one at half court, and one at three-quarter court. 
And there's a line here. These are the San Antonio Spurs. They think I'm crazy. There's a line here and there's a line over there. And they run up to this side of the chair and they jump stop. And some guys, you know, when the, you first get them, like the rookies, they come in. They... No, that's not the jump stop. You don't have to jump up in the air. You want to stick your feet in the ground. You're low here. And that's all it is. And then you're going to do a reverse pivot or you're going to do an inside pivot, but you're not going to do it like this. You're going to stay low and you're going to do it. That's the drill. Then they go to half court and they do that. Then they go to three-quarter court and they do that. Then they come up the other side and go there. And that's where we start every single year. We don't start with a secret play and we're going to change our defense and we're going to do this this year. We add a wrinkle to the offense. We'll add a wrinkle to the defense. Like I said, Coach Messina has already told me how bad my offense is and he's going to change the whole thing. But uh, it's, it's the beginning of many building blocks to get back where they need to go. And I think that process, that pride in work on a daily basis is what grows the spirit and grows the character and makes them feel like, and this is important, like they deserve to win the championship. Your team has to feel like they deserve it, like they've worked harder than everybody else. It doesn't necessarily mean you ran suicides all morning long. I mean, you know, that mental as much as the physical part that they've prepared, they've gone over it, they've repeated the defensive drills where a lot of teams, you capture them in training camp and you get into the season and you forget to repeat this and repeat this and repeat that and all of a sudden the defense dissipates or the movement in the offense dissipates because you haven't been on top of it practice by practice by practice. But that's where the beauty of the game is, and that's what builds you to be able to sustain yourself in playoffs or have a devastation like we did and come back from it. So those are the kind of goals that we, what we have. So all the coaches, all the managers are in there, and you do your thing. And by the end of it, you decide who you want to draft, who you want to trade. Uh, when we're having coaches meetings, my coaches meetings are open, they can come in any time, hear us arguing about so-and-so stinks, I'm not playing, I'm playing so-and-so instead, why aren't we doing this on the pick and roll, and all that, because I want them to know what kind of players I want, we're looking for, uh, we do it together. So if we win a championship or we lose in the first round, we did all that together and life goes on. Um, I'm not overly sad, maybe for a couple days, if we lose in the first round, then I'm not all that excited if we win a championship. Because it's basketball. Get over yourself. Bust your ass, do the best you can do, and then go home or go get a beer. But it's, it's not to be jumping off a building in a loss or thinking that you're some kind of a hero if you win. You know, if you win, Act like you do it all the time and you didn't do anything special. If you lose, go back to work. Try to figure it out. He says, is character the reason you guys were able to recover from that? Yeah, partly. Partly. But I'll tell you what we did. I mean, it was a tough loss in game six. And one thing you got to do is you got to question yourself, too. We're up five with 29 seconds to go. Should I have fouled? Of course, when Coach Messina will say, yeah, you idiot, you should have fouled. You know, that kind of thing. Is everybody in Europe follows all the time. You give the ball, give the ball. We're not smart enough. We don't figure it out. We, we, we grew up a different way. I don't know. We still argue about it all the time with what you should do and all that. But the point is, we did what we did, whatever, and we lost in game six. Devastating loss because for all intents and purposes, the championship was in our hand. It was, it was done. Uh, and it slipped away. It hurt badly. It hurt very badly. And it was more than two days that I was sad, so I lied before. Uh, but how do you get over that? How do you get them back? Uh, sure, if they have character, it helps. But again, it's all about honesty and straightforward between the eyes. They sat down when we started training camp, and they watched every minute of games six and seven. That was hard for them. Every minute. Because what I didn't want is them feeling sorry for themselves, having a pity party, and say, oh, the basketball gods were against us. 
We probably should have won it, but you know, it wasn't, wasn't us. The basketball guys just weren't in our favor. We didn't get the offensive rebound, and he hit a three. And then we didn't get the next offensive rebound, and they hit another three. And then this guy missed a free throw, but it was the basketball gods. That's the last thing I wanted. I wanted them to feel the pain all over again, let them know that it was in our hands, and we could have done A, B, and C to finish the game off. We didn't do it. And we're not going to blame the coach, and we're not going to blame that player. We blew it. And we're going to look at every frame of this film and see what we could have done. And we did it. And then I just, I just asked them, uh, this season will be a measure of who each of us is as a human being. Uh, this will be the measure of your character, of your courage, of your fortitude, to see if we can get back uh, to where we were. And we will or we won't. And that's how we started it. So I guess since we won, it worked. If we didn't win, would you say it didn't work? You know, that's part of the thrill of sport. But to get there again, uh, I was never more happy for a team. Uh, and it was of the five championships, it was clearly the most enjoyable because of the loss the year before. So that's how we looked at it. So again, as you can hear, that is basically the San Antonio Spurs type of philosophy. So again, when I hear Mike Budenholzer say that this isn't necessarily a championship or bust season, I'm not all that alarmed by this because I've already studied the San Antonio Spurs. I've studied their philosophy. I don't think Budenholzer is saying is just is necessarily saying that he's just going to fluff it in for the upcoming season, like like that he doesn't have a goal or whatever. I think it's more of just a mindset to make sure the Milwaukee Bucks are developing good habits throughout the year, making sure all the guys are staying healthy, and making sure that. They are the best team possible come postseason time, making sure that the team isn't necessarily skipping a step. And the end goal isn't necessarily to, to win an NBA championship, but to get, get his team to a point where they feel like they should be NBA champions and thus uh, be more prepared to, to excel during playoff situations. Uh, I don't know if that makes much sense, but... I think it's just more of the more of that San Antonio Spurs, Greg Popovich type of philosophy that Mike Budenholzer has that if the team doesn't win an NBA championship but goes out during the first round or like last year during the second round of the playoffs, that it's an opportunity for the Bucks to improve in the offseason and get better for the future. So I wouldn't be all that alarmed from Mike Budenholzer's answer. I don't really take, some people I think take, uh, take interviews with the press way too serious sometimes. Like I think a lot of times they're just answering questions. Uh, but again, if you understand the San Antonio Spurs philosophy, that's what Mike Budenholzer is saying. So he's, he's just saying that in his mind, he wants his team uh, not to skip steps and to learn from any mistakes that that they that they make in the future. So, again, don't be all that alarmed from Mike Budenholzer's comments. Am I saying that he's the greatest coach in the NBA? No, I'm not. Personally, I'd rather have someone like Eric Spolstra or Nick Nurse or. Uh, Rick Carlisle, someone like that, someone who's great at making adjustments during the postseason like that is Mike Boonholzer's uh, biggest weakness as a head coach is making those adjustments during the postseason. So I'm not saying he's a perfect head coach, but again, don't be don't be all that alarmed when he says that this is not necessarily a championship or bust season for the Milwaukee Bucks. Again, all he's saying is he wants his team not to skip steps, to have a mindset to continually get better and learn from their mistakes. So that's what I take away from his comments 
from yesterday. So let's see, anything else before I close today's episode? I'm trying to think what else I may have missed. The Milwaukee Bucks just came out with their new uh, blue, like a dark blue. I don't know if it's dark blue necessarily, but it's a true blue, light blue uh, type of jersey to represent Lake Michigan. I have thoughts on it, but I'm not going to get into all of those thoughts in this episode. I'm not a huge fan of these uniforms. To me, they kind of remind me of the Cleveland Cavaliers uniforms that, that they created it during the 1990s. So I'm not a huge fan of this uniform set. They also sort of look like uh, the old school Minneapolis Lakers uniforms, like someone made the comment to me on Twitter the other day. I think it was Daz uh, on Twitter uh, made the comment to me the other day that these uniforms uh, remind him of a newer version of of what the Minneapolis Lakers would have put out during this era. So I'm not a huge fan of these uniforms. Uh, David Don 21 on Twitter has made this this comment multiple times on different podcast episodes and so forth. But the the Milwaukee Bucks should just be sticking with a few colors so that they are a recognizable team uh, to everyone around the NBA. The fact that they keep coming out with a green jersey, then a cream jersey, then a black jersey, then a blue jersey, and so forth, it's just too much. The Bucks should should stick with just a few colors so that people know what the Milwaukee Bucks look like. Some people are saying, well, these colors represent the area that the Milwaukee Bucks uh, live in. The fact that the Bucks live live in a green area and that Milwaukee is the cream city, even though everyone before all this recognized Milwaukee as the brew city. Uh, because of the city's connection to to beer. Uh, most people know of Milwaukee as the brew city, but the Milwaukee Bucks brought back the cream city, which I think the city had been known a little bit for in the past or whatever. Any, anyways, where is I going with this? Um, oh, just, just why they have their color schemes. Oh, and they have blue because it represents the lakes and so forth uh, i don't know to me you could look at any team around the nba and make the same statement like the atlanta hawks play in georgia they could have green jerseys since georgia is a pretty green area in the south there are rivers and lakes in georgia so the atlanta hawks could have blue in their uniform set or whatever like a lot of teams could claim rivers and lakes as a part of the region why the milwaukee bucks feel the need to make this a part of their uniform set oh, we need to include lake michigan as one of our colors i'm not really sure uh but but the Milwaukee Bucks somehow have decided all this. I wish they would stick with the green and red, their championship colors, as John McLaughlin would say. I wish they would stick with those colors full time. Uh, but, you know, for whatever reason, they've gone with these colors. If you're going to stick with the green and cream as your main basic colors, just come out with green and cream uniforms uh full time from here on out you don't need to to use every single color in that in that newly created irish rainbow to do all this kind of stuff i personally too am a fan of the purple and green uh uniforms that tom o'grady created during the 1990s those are the uniforms that i grew up with i'm a huge fan of those i think someone had mentioned to Mark Lazary one time, some some random Bucks fan told him that they weren't a fan, that Bucks fans weren't fans of the purple uniforms. There are some Bucks fans who don't like the purple uniforms and whatnot, but uh, I wish they would have some retro nights where they would go back to those purple and green uniforms. Uh, it's too bad. I made this joke on Twitter the other day, but it's too bad that 
Kevin Love isn't on the Milwaukee Bucks so that uh, he can get his his uncles, who are the Beach Boys. I know that uh, his dad, Stan Love, played in the NBA, but Stan Love's brother is Mike Love, who is a member of the Beach Boys, and the the Love's cousins are Brian Wilson and Carl Wilson, all of the Wilsons from the Beach Boys. So Kevin Love is related to basically all of the Beach Boys. It's too bad that he's not on the Milwaukee Bucks so that his uncles could promote these uniforms. Anyways. The Milwaukee Bucks came out with a blue uniform. I'm not a huge fan of it, but it is what it is, and uh, we'll just have to live with it for uh, this upcoming season. Anything else about the Milwaukee Bucks? I think that's about it for today. So I'm going to close today's episode. Thank you for tuning in to listen to the Spider Dribble. Uh, you can find all of my podcasts, uh, all of my podcast episodes on Spotify, on Anchor. If you go to anchor.fm and search the Spider Dribble podcast, you can find it there. Uh, You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many other podcast platforms. If you want to interact with me, interact with me on my Twitter page, which is uh, at delish04. Search Derek Ledoux there, and you'll be able to interact with me there. I'd love to hear any feedback, whether you agree with me or disagree with me on anything that I've said during this podcast episode, you can do so there. Uh, Again, that will be it for today's episode. And I will talk to all of you again soon.